Gospel, chapter number one. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number one, and happy December to you, and looking forward to a great December and Christmas season here at River City Baptist Church, and thankful for uh, your presence here today, and trust the Lord to use his word in our lives. Matthew's Gospel, chapter one, we're going to look at Matthew's account of the birth of Christ, beginning in verse number 18. The Bible says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Amen. I do want to speak to you this morning on the subject there in that phrase, God is with you. Think about that. This is what Jesus coming to this earth meant and means for everyone. The truth is that because Christ came and identified with us, he is and forever will always be with us. And I hope as you come into this season, you'll do or not do what is so true of so many people that will get caught up in so many things that are in the scheme of eternity completely irrelevant. Kind of like the woman who had her son out frantically shopping on Christmas Eve, running around while the boy was being drugged through the mall, and she lost her son for a split second, panicked, turned around, and saw that her son was standing outside of a shopping store display window which had a baby Jesus scene in it. The boy was struck and she ran up to him and said what are you doing you 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 ran away from me and she said look mommy it is Jesus baby Jesus right there in the hay to which his mother quickly jerked him away onto the next door and said we don't have time for that well I sure hope this Christmas season you don't rush through December and not have any time for that this is why we're here We're here to remember and celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God and God the Son, did in fact come and was born. Gospel of Matthew opens with the birth of Jesus proclaiming that he is God with us. The Gospel of Matthew ends with a great commission and the same promise. Go and preach the Gospel because God is with you. So from beginning to end of the life of Jesus... And everywhere in between, it is packed with the promise, God is with us. 
Now, folks, I can't think of anything more encouraging for you to grab a hold of this morning than the fact that through Jesus Christ, you have a promise that God is always with us. J.C. Ryle said it like this, this promise teaches us that God is always with us daily to pardon us and to forgive us daily, to strengthen us and sanctify us daily, to defend us and keep us daily, to lead us and guide us. He is with us in our sorrow. He is with us in our joy. He is with us in our sickness. He is with us in our health. He is with us in our life. And yes, he's even with us in our death. And in Christ, he is with us in time. And he is with us, thank God, through all of eternity. What a gift this week. What a gift for you to consider that the greatest present ever given was the eternal presence of God with his people through the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I say God is with us, we're not talking about God being with you like on the end of a telephone on the other end as an operator with a call to get into heaven. God is not with you like uh, by, uh, by proximity through some angel or God is not you know, some uh, with us in, and through a television screen, live casted, no. God himself actually is with his people through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what happened at the first Christmas in Matthew chapter number 1. Matthew tells us that the birth of Jesus Christ was a fulfillment of a prophecy that came through Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. A prophecy that was given 700 years prior to this moment happening. And when Jesus came and was born of a virgin... He fulfilled the promise of Isaiah that said, this child is going to be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So let's take a look this morning at this text and learn what we need to learn about God being with us. First of all, I want you to see the amazing truth of the incarnation. The amazing truth of the incarnation. Now, when we use the word incarnation, it's a household word with people who are Christians. But it may not be a household word for everybody. The word carn simply means flesh. If uh, There's a Spanish word that is similar. Carne sada means meat or beef, okay? And so the word means flesh. So, sorry to make you hungry before lunch, okay? So, the incarnation means the truth. That in Jesus Christ, listen very carefully, what we have is we have God becoming man. The reality is that Jesus Christ is presented in the Bible as 100% fully God and 100% fully man. He is the perfect and only fulfillment of all the promises of God about what the Messiah would in fact be. He would be born of a virgin. He would live eternally through the Davidic covenant. Jesus Christ is presented to us in Matthew's gospel, chapter number one, as in fact God himself coming down in humility to be born through the womb of a virgin and to live as not just a man while he was here, but as a man fully in humanity and at the same time fully in divinity. It is a great mystery, is it not? 
You say, can you explain it any further? Not really. I'm a pretty simple guy, but let me give you what the Bible says about this. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says it like this. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. The proclamation of scripture is that he was fully God and fully man. Colossians chapter 2 verse 10, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. John 1.14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 says, he was in the form of God and he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant, watch it, and was made in the likeness of men. You need to believe and understand this morning that Jesus was not just a great and amazing guy, a man. He was God. But he wasn't just God. He was also a man. And if he was not man, he could not die because God will never die. But friend, because he was willing to become a man, he was willing to do the one thing that he had to do for us, and that was take our place as a man and shed that blood on our behalf and die and go to a grave on our behalf. Friends, listen to me very carefully. God will never die, okay? God is forever. He's eternal. And so the fact that God became a man was critical because we needed him because of our sins. So when Christ became a man, he became a man for the purpose of dying for the sins of the world. But listen very carefully. And it wasn't just that he was man. Because if he was just man, he could also not have done what he did. Folks, listen, he was not just a man, or the only sins he could have died for was his own sins. But because he was God, he was able to pay an eternal price for the eternal sins of every man, every woman, every boy, every girl that ever has lived, is living, or y'all ain't hearing me this morning. I'm telling you that as fully God and fully man, he was able to fulfill and do something that only he could do. I know it may seem like it's a little bit over our head, and I think it is. But the very fact of the matter is, it is true. The testimony of God's word is that Jesus Christ was born in the flesh. I like the song. It says, what condescension, bringing us redemption, that in the dead of night, not one faint hope in sight, God, gracious, Tender, laid aside his splendor, stooping to woo, to win, to save my soul. Without reluctance, flesh and blood, his substance, he took the form of man, revealed the hidden plan. Oh, glorious mystery, sacrifice of Calvary, and now I know thou art the great I am. That's who Christ was for you and me. It is a mystery. But not only is it a mystery, it is a miracle. It is a miracle. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ is a miracle. In fact, uh, back in the uh, early or mid, excuse me, 1800s, there was a major theological crisis in America. And a lot of churches were being infiltrated by people that did not believe the Bible. And certainly there are still people like that around today, but the controversy centered on the supernatural. In other words, uh, the things that made the Bible give testament to God and his reality. And it's not hard to find people who don't believe in miracles or don't believe in God or don't believe in what he has done. But in that time in American history where there was such a, 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 a skeptical attitude toward God in the Bible, it's very interesting to me that one of the very major doctrines in the Bible that came under attack 
during that season was the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Folks, listen, you, I know this is simple. You cannot believe that a virgin had a baby unless you believe that God did it. Now, what is taught for us in Matthew chapter 1 is plainly this. A young woman named Mary who was espoused, uh, the only similar equivalent in our culture would be engaged. It's not the same thing, but it's close. Here's a woman who had never been with her husband in a physical relationship. It was discovered that she was pregnant with the child. Now, there's two major reasons why I believe the virgin birth actually happened. One, I mean, the Bible plainly says it right here, okay? The second thing in the text, though, that really helps us understand that the, that the virgin birth was a reality is the way that Joseph reacted to this whole thing. I mean, Joseph, it said here that he wanted to put her away privately. Why was he going to put her away? Because in his mind, if Mary was having a baby, then that baby had to come from somewhere else because it didn't come from me. And so his, his response was, well, she must have cheated on me. She must have been with another man. And then what happens? God shows up in a vision, in a dream through the Holy Spirit and tells Joseph what happened. And it says it twice in this text. What is it that actually happened? She was conceived, verse number 20, or verse number 18, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And then, of course, when uh, Jesus uh, appears to Joseph, verse number 20, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take uh, uh, to you marry your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit of God. Now that's the testament. The testament is that God performed a miracle inside the womb of Mary. He defied the laws of nature. That's called a miracle. When God does something that does not use the natural means of, this, uh, uh, of the laws of earth to do something or create something or make something happen, we call that in the Bible a miracle. How many of y'all glad today to know that God is a miracle-working God and that God can, has always, and still today can do miracles, amen? But listen very carefully. This is a unique miracle. It's a unique miracle because it becomes a critical piece of theology, I'm trying not to go too deep this morning, but I am telling you right now, if you are a believer, you must believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. It is critical, and here's why. Number one, it is critical because of the, it is essential to the deity of Jesus Christ. He was not conceived the natural way that children are conceived because he was not just a mere human, he was God. One man said it like this, if Jesus Christ is the son of a human father and a human mother through natural biological processes, then he is not God in human flesh. It's that simple. He might under those circumstances be a man and dwelt by God, a man upon whom God's spirit rested, but he would only have been a man. His existence would have begun at conception. He would not and could not be the eternal God in the human flesh if his birth began like your birth began in the womb of your mother nine months before you entered into this world. It did not happen that way. Why? Because he's not you and he's not me. He's God. That's why. It is essential to the deity of Christ. Secondly, it is essential to the humanity of Christ. The Bible is plain here. It says here there was a, his mother was Joseph who was betrothed to Joseph, here it is, before they came together. The actual word, which is quoted from Isaiah in verse number 23, is the word virgin. 
The word virgin clearly in the Bible refers to a young, unmarried, pure woman that has never been with a man. This is exactly why Joseph wanted to put her away, as I mentioned before. Later on, when Mary has her conversation with God, what does she say? How can this be? Seeing that I know not a man. It was essential. They did not come together. Mary was with child by the Holy Spirit, and yet it was God in the flesh who was born, just like you and I were, through the womb of a woman. Luke chapter 1, verse 37, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. You know what, church? I'm here to tell you that this may be out of bounds with man. This may be hard to understand for people that don't know God, but listen very carefully. This is as plain and simple and true in the Bible as you get. This is how Jesus came. And most of you know or have heard of Larry King. Larry King, uh, for years, was a television uh, news person for CNN. And uh, one person asked Larry King, who, who was famous for all the interviews that he did with all the people, he was asked, if you could only interview one person in history, who would that person be? He said, Jesus Christ. He said, and if you could ask Jesus only one question, what would it be? He said, I quote, I would ask Jesus, were you really born of a virgin? And the man said, why would you ask him that question? And Larry King said, because that would define history for me. I'm here to tell you this morning, I don't know who you are or where you came from, but I'm here to tell you. If Jesus is who the Bible says he is, and if Jesus was born the way the Bible says he was born, That is the most important thing you will ever hear in your life. The most important thing to know is who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And you can't have one without the other. If Jesus was not who he was, then he cannot do what he did. And thank God, if he did not do what he did, although he was who he was, we would be in a mess. But what I'm telling you this morning is Christmas says he is who he is, and Easter says he did what he did. So we are here to celebrate the beginning of it all at Christmas, and come a few months from now, we'll celebrate the end of it all in the resurrection after his death. There is the amazing truth of the incarnation. Secondly, I love this. There is the immediate result of the incarnation. What happened to these people? What happened when Christ was born? What is said here about the implications, if you will, of the incarnation? The implication is, first of all, that the incarnation of Jesus Christ provided hope for everyone. I know the other week I brushed on this, but I want you to see this in the text. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 comes after a very brief genealogy in Matthew chapter number 1, verses 1 through 17. And I just want to pick it a little bit so that you can see this. Look at verse number 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So God tells us here in chapter number 1, verse 1, that he's going to tell a story of how Jesus came to be. And the first thing he's going to tell us before he tells us about the virgin birth is he's going to tell us about the the, the line of people that Jesus came through. This is Jesus' genealogy. It's his family tree. It's where Jesus came from. It's his people. Are you hearing me? It's his family. It's the trace of his earthly 
family generationally all the way back to Abraham. Look at verse number two. Abraham beget Isaac. Isaac beget Jacob. Jacob beget Judah and his brothers. You know, I stop there and say, I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Genesis as much, but you, you know, if I were reading this, I would say Abraham beget Isaac, and Isaac beget Jacob, and Jacob beget Joseph. Because the fact of the matter is, I'd just like to skip the other 11 dudes because the truth is, they were jacked up, people, okay? I mean, they were. They were a mess. They're the ones that sold their brother into slavery collectively as a group. And who does Christ signal out here to show us the line that he came from and which of the tribes did Jesus actually come from? Judah. And if the selling of his brother into slavery wasn't bad enough, Genesis chapter 37 through 50 tells us a story about Joseph, and it's a glorious story. It's an amazing story. It's a story of a man of God, a man that God was with, a man that God used to preserve a nation. I mean, Joseph was the man, people. But do you realize from Genesis 37 to 50, one chapter is not about Joseph. It's a little snapshot back in Israel about what happened to Judah. And you know what Judah did? Judah was messed up, people. He was messed up. Judah had a daughter-in-law named Tamar, and, and Judah's sons were wicked, the Bible says. One of her, uh, hus- her first husband died. It simply says, he was wicked, and God killed him. And then it says, because of the laws in those days, that brothers were to try to raise up the seeds of their brother to their deceased, uh, uh, for their deceased brother, the next boy comes in, and, and he sins against God, and God takes him out too, two in a row. Then there was a third son. His name was Shelah. And Shelah was so small he couldn't marry Tamar yet. So what does Judah do? He says, go back home. Go back and live with your dad. And when Shelah is old enough, I'll send the call for you. And Shelah can marry you when he's old enough to marry you. Of course, as the story goes, that's not what happened at all, is it? Oh, no. Judah, or Tamar goes home. She's there for years. Think about this. Years. Years waiting for a dishonest man to fulfill his word that he never fulfills. And so... When she realizes that he's not going to take, fulfill his word, this is what she does. She knows that Judah oftentimes hangs out with his buddies down in the sheep shearing part of town. And you know what she does? Get this. This is in the Bible, folks, okay? You'd skip this if this was on Netflix, all right? And so she, she, she goes, and she goes down where he is, and you know what she does? She takes off her mourning garments and puts on a dress and a cover-up that makes her look like a harlot, And because she knew what her father-in-law was like, she seduced him and he paid her for an immoral relationship. And then he got her pregnant. And then, okay, then, when she starts showing three months later, somebody tattles on her to Judah and says to Judah, your daughter-in-law has played the harlot and she's pregnant with somebody else's baby. And you know what Judah says? Burner, Boy, I tell you what, folks, we can be really hard on others when the truth is the speck is in our own eye. This 
This is Judah, the great Judah, the spiritual Judah. But guess where Judah is? Right in the line of Christ. But here's what's interesting. Judah beget Perez and Zerah. Here it is, by Tamar. Are y'all hearing me? The same girl that dressed up like a prostitute, the same girl that took things into her own, her own hands. Her name is in there. Then it says, you go on. It says that, uh, I skip down to verse number five. Salmon beget Boaz by Rahab. What's she doing there? She was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. She's the one that let the two spies in and took care of them. But she's also the same one that although her background was messed up, she believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God rescued her. And some old boy in the army said, hey, she's pretty good looking. I'm going to take her up on that. And he married her. And they had a baby named Boaz. Well, you remember Boaz? Boaz is over in the book of Ruth. And what does Boaz do? Well, look at the text. It says here, and Boaz beget Obed by Ruth, a pagan, lost woman from another country, an alien, outside of the commonwealth of Israel, outside a stranger, somebody nobody wanted, a broken, left, deserted widow. And she moves into Israel having no hope, but then she goes out trusting in God, and guess what God does? God provides Boaz for her, and guess what? They end up getting married, and her son is named Obed, and Obed has a son named Jesse, and Jesse has a son named David. Are y'all hearing me today? And then you go on, David is born, verse number uh, uh, next, verse six, and David began, uh, Solomon, by, watch this, it doesn't even name the next girl by her who had been the wife of Uriah. She has a name. Bathsheba. What scandal. Y'all are, some of y'all are too dressed up this morning for church. You ain't quite catching what I'm stepping in. I'm trying to tell you, there's a bunch of scandalous people in here. There's a bunch of, bu- uh, there's a bunch of busted up, jacked up, messed up people with littered, come on, littered backgrounds and soiled stories. And I think you might look at this story and go, what are they doing there? Until you look at your own story and you ask this question, what am I doing here? How did I get in? How did this all work out? And I want to tell you how it worked out. Grace is how how it worked out it all worked out because you weren't worth shooting and when you were on the firing line getting ready to be executed because you sinned against God instead of come on instead of sending an executioner he sent a rescuer that's what he did that's who he is and that's why Christmas is so critical. When your guilt screams at you, you are finished. Jesus from Calvary cries, It is finished. Why would he care about me? Why would I matter? Why would he want me? Because he's God. And God is love. The incarnation provides hope for everybody, but the incarnation also meets our greatest need. When you look down at the text again in verse number 21, it says, and she will bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus. Here it is. For he will save his people from their sins. 
The point of Jesus coming is because you needed salvation. You needed cleansing. You needed redemption. You needed a rescue. And that rescue is only provided in Jesus Christ. Listen, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Jesus Christ did what you could not do for yourself to provide for you, what you could not provide for yourself, and that word is saved. Let me ask you a question. Do you have the certain assurance today that you have your sins forgiven by God? If not... You need to open up your heart like the front door of your house and you need to welcome Jesus Christ as your Savior. You need to do it today. And there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's no other way of salvation. It's the way that he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. No matter what anybody says, no matter what is popular, no matter what even religion says, it's only Jesus. In fact, on... November the 21st of 2016, Pope Francis permanently, this is great, permanently authorized Catholic priests the freedom to provide forgiveness for women who had had an abortion. He said, I quote, I wish to restate as firmly as I can that abortion is a sin, yet there is no sin that God's mercy cannot reach and wipe away, which is true. The only thing that he missed here is that you do not have to have a man authorized to forgive your sins. That's already happened in Jesus Christ. If you went anywhere other than Jesus to get your sins wiped away, friend, you still got sins to deal with. You say, wait a second, I got baptized when I was a kid. No, you got wet when you were a kid. If you did not get saved by Jesus Christ, then you are still in your sins, and you must only be forgiven through and by him. Just a few weeks ago, sadly, there was a 36-year-old firefighter here in Jacksonville that gave his life uh, in, in a rescue attempt of somebody who was in a car accident. It was a very sad situation. They had the funeral over at uh, Shiloh Church over on the west side. And, and I was watching some of the interviews again. And, and sadly, one of, I think it was a, a relative of the man. And, and, and look, I don't want to sound like being insensitive to what happened. He was evidently a good man. He was evidently a Christian that, that, that loved God and was faithful to church. That's not what I'm talking I'm not talking about him. But there was somebody interviewed and said, he gave his life for someone else. That is how you know you are going to heaven. Listen very carefully. I want to correct that just slightly if I could. Oh, it is through the sacrifice of someone for someone that you get to go to heaven. But it's not the sacrifice of you for someone else. It's the sacrifice of Christ for someone else that is the way of salvation. So the immediate result of the incarnation is hope for everybody and forgiveness for everybody. Let me hasten to make this point before I'm done. Thirdly, we see the eternal effect of the incarnation. What does the incarnation mean now? Oh, it means salvation now for sure, but and it means it means hope for everyone for sure, but what about our day to day? What about 2000 years later? What about us? What about when you wake up tomorrow? What is the incarnation? How does it help you? I want to give you two thoughts about what it means for you today. Number one, it means God always keeps his promises. The promise in verse number 23 that is fulfilled today is a promise that was given in Isaiah 7, 14. And it is a promise that was given 700 years before Jesus was ever born. Isaiah said, she will, a virgin will have a child. 
700 years later, God kept his word. Let me tell you something, friend. I don't care if it's 1,000 years or 7,000 years. If God said it, he will keep his word. Joshua 21, 45, not one word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. 2 Samuel 7, 28, and now, O Lord, you are God and your words are true. 1 Kings 8, 24, you have kept what you promised to your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand. Some of y'all ought to get a hold of that verse today. It's like this. If God said it with his mouth, he will fulfill it with his hand. God always keeps his word. Secondly, God will always be there. He will always be there to calm your fears. In Luke's account, when Luke comes, or excuse me, the angel comes to tell Mary she's having a baby, even though she had not been with a man, what does God say to her in Luke 1.30? Fear not, Mary. Joshua chapter 1 verse 5, God said it to him like this, There shall not be any man able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. Joshua was afraid. Joshua had followed Moses all of his life. Now Joshua's got to lead himself. He was a fearful man. And what did God do? He assured him that he was there. In fact, in verse number 9 of the same chapter, he says, Have not I commanded you, be strong and be courageous, neither be afraid, uh, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'll be preaching this text on Wednesday night this week. Paul said these words, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. When everybody else runs out on you, that's when God is running in after you. Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Listen, there are lots of fears in this life. It might come through relationships. It might come through health. It might come through just your own propensity to worry about stuff that you ain't got no business worrying about. But here's what God says. It doesn't matter why you're fearing. I'm here for you so you don't have to be afraid calm your fears. Number two, to clear your uncertainties. What an amazing thing. Just consider Joseph for just a minute. Joseph was a good man. Let's look back again at verse number 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Look at verse 23. Notice how cautious, notice how cautious Joseph was. But while he thought on these things, Well, I think some of us could have a little extra dose of patience in our life, don't you? Let's put you in that story. How fast would you have snapped her head off? How fast would you have snapped? How fast do some of us snap the head off of our children? Figuratively, of course. (laughs) How many of us snap back at people so fast, so quick? Watch it, so merciless. Joseph knew well what was going on, and he stopped, and he was thinking, what am I going to do? What should I do here? And while he's thinking about it, God shows up. What uncertainty he was facing, what would they think about him? What was he supposed to do? And God comes and says, I'm with you too. Be, don't be afraid. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you, and uh, that is in the midst of you is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over you with joy. 
Psalm 46, verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with you. The God of Jacob is your refuge. Genesis 39, 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. This is a certain truth that God gives to people all the time when they're not sure about what's going on. What is your next step? What is God calling you to do? I don't know. And it might be, it might be something that is fearful. It might be something that troubles you. It might be something that you're absolutely uncertain about. But be assured of this. He's going to be with you. Be assured of this, when God calls you to be his witness, he will be with you. Matthew chapter 28, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, teach in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all things whatsoever I have said unto you. And lo, I am with you. We heard a great message on Wednesday night about sharing your faith with people around the holiday season, and there could be maybe nothing more fearful sharing the gospel with somebody. Here's the promise you have from God. When you open up your mouth by faith to share Jesus with somebody, he's right there with you. He's there with you also to secure your eternity. Revelation 21.3, I heard a great voice of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them. That's the new Jerusalem. That's the new heaven and the new earth. What do we know about eternity? God is there. He's with you. And David describes what's going to happen when your life is over, friend. What is going to happen when your life is about to end? Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, watch this, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Like the old songwriters talk about crossing the Jordan, I'll never have to cross it alone. And my friend, when your feet are about to step into the icy, chilly waters of Jordan's death, guess what? Christ himself is going to reach out his hand for you and he's going to welcome you into the other side. Even in death, you'll not die alone. In all of eternity, you will never be alone. My friend, if God is with you, you are in a noble company. Even though you are poor and despised and rejected of men, you are welcomed in Christ. If God is with you, you have all sufficient strength for nothing is too hard for God. If God is with you, you are safe. No one can harm you. No char- come on, no charge can come against you. Hell itself cannot destroy you. You're under his shadow, walking in his wings. God is with us. He's with us as individuals. He's with us as families. He's with us at church. Is this not the greatest thing you've heard all day? He's with you. So let us be brave and diligent and joyous and hopeful. Truth will win. And God is always with his people. Let's pray together.